Yo, welcome back to Your Lux Ran Out. I'm your host, Julius Lux. If you're new, welcome. This is Your Lux Ran Out. Just another sports fan, just ranting, sports topics about around the sports world. You know what it is. If you're not new and you're coming back to listen again, I appreciate it. Welcome back. Um, sorry for the one-week delay. Spring break down here, so I got to get out. You know, I was just enjoying some time off. But we're back. We're, we're back into this. And we, you know, of course, the one time I take a break. We got stuff going down. Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay. Devontae Adams as well. Franchise tagged. We got some NBA news. We saw LeBron James put up 56. Tatum put up 54 against the Brooklyn Nets. That that was a game to watch. Because we're seeing two teams that are hot in the playoff race. Especially the Nets. Barely able to make the play-in right now with the roster they got. But Tatum lit it up with 54. And he's been on fire this past week. We saw James Harden and Joel Embiid for the first time. These guys have looked good. But then they ran into the full-squatted Brooklyn Nets. No Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons did not play. But for the most part, that entire lineup was playing. And Philly got whooped. James Harden, once again, in a big game, got exposed. We're going to get into that later. We also got the MLB lockout. We're going to have baseball this season. That's so that's so nice to say we're going to have baseball this season. I, I'm so freaking excited about that. I mean, that's... It's good. We're going to have a whole 162-game season. We're back. Baseball's back, everybody. Let us rejoice and be glad baseball's back, okay? We're going to get into that because we did miss a good portion of what happened in the lockout because there was an agreement on March 1st. If there was no agreement, games would be canceled, and that sure did happen. We literally got an agreement yesterday. We're recording March 11th. Yesterday was March 10th. It was around like 4 o'clock-ish. We finally got an agreement done. So we will have baseball this season. Lockout's over. Free agents can sign. Trades can go down. Players can report to spring training. We're all good. We're going to get into that right now. And here we go. We are off. And ready to go. So we're going to start off with Aaron Rodgers. Back to Green Bay. It was reported a four-year, $200 million deal. Aaron Rodgers is going to be under center, taking snaps for the Green Bay Packers once again. So we are all those rumors in the past about him going to Denver, going to Vegas, going to Pittsburgh, done. Rodgers is going to be a cheesehead for life, as it looks. And Green Bay has more to cheer about because Devontae Adams got a franchise tag, meaning he is back too. So basically, Green Bay's running it back this season. They're running back a season where they were the best team in the NFC. You can say debatably, but they had record-wise, they were the best. They had the MVP at quarterback. And, you know, Devontae Adams has a great reputation as one of the best receivers in the league. Solid running back at Aaron Jones. Very solid. And they have all that just to get eliminated in their first playoff game at home. And it was in Aaron Rodgers' typical climate, it just seemed like. It was at home in, in Lambeau. It was snowing. And, you know, he's got his two hand he's got his two hands in the fanny pack that he wears in front of him. You know exactly the pose I'm talking about that Aaron Rodgers does in the cold. It just seems like he's he's out there ready to kill. Gets eliminated. They only put up ten points against that 49ers defense. 
not disregarding the 49ers as a solid football team in terms of their defense because they they were tremendous that entire playoff run. No one expected them to take down a very exciting Dallas team and the number one seeded Green Bay Packers. In terms of cap space, Green Bay was one of the worst in the league. I believe they were like third or fourth worst before the Rodgers and Adams deal went down. Now they're dead last. But what they did with Rodgers' contract, apparently, they restructured multiple contracts in order to make Rodgers' deal enough to bring back Devontae Adams. So Green Bay is having themselves another solid year. They're basically making the playoffs. Their odds to win the Super Bowl are now through the roof. Probably one of the tops in the league. But... But, 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 we have a giant issue, of course, because Rodgers hasn't won a Super Bowl in basically a decade. It's been since 2011. Since 2011, he defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is the only time he has ever been to a Super Bowl as well. Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback right now. Tom Brady's done. Aaron Rodgers is the man now in the league. He is the guy watching over the entire league. And this guy has only been to one Super Bowl. He has four MVPs, but he's been to one Super Bowl. This guy's an all-time great, and debatably in people's top five, he only has one Super Bowl. You can't blame him entirely, though. He hasn't had some defense. He hasn't had help on defense in some scenarios. There's been defensive issues in big playoff games, and this past season there was the special teams that just wrecked the Packers' chances this year. So we need to see another Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl win, or appearance at least. With the squad he has, which is typically NFC championship bound about every year, he just can't make it over the hump. He hasn't been able to beat the 49ers since he's been in the league in terms of the playoffs. He's 0-4 against them. The 49ers own him. And this is the team that passed him in the NFL draft to draft Alex Smith. Aaron Rodgers is a guy you can't doubt. You don't just doubt Aaron Rodgers. You can doubt the Green Bay Packers, but you can't doubt Aaron Rodgers. We've seen his arm just being tremendous. This guy is just consistent. He's very consistent. We can doubt the Green Bay Packers because not too long ago, they drafted a quarterback in the first round by the name of Jordan Love. He's only started one game since he's put on an NFL uniform, since he's been in the NFL period. And now we're going to look at this and say, that was stupid. Why would you draft a quarterback in the first round when you could have helped the defense, I don't know, O-line, create some depth in any position possible? But you draft a quarterback when you already have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and then you extend him? Jordan Love's career in Green Bay is basically over. They said this is not the guy. And clearly he was never going to be the guy, at least from what we saw in, his, in, in any of his playing time that he's had, which hasn't been anything at all we saw Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers career did start late he was behind Brett Favre Aaron Rodgers when he played too struggled in the beginning of his career he struggled but look at him now I'm not saying Jordan Love is the next Aaron Rodgers heck no absolutely not but you're gonna draft a quarterback in the first round when you're you have all these rumors and Aaron Rodgers creating all these problems or he's in the news there was the whole vaccination thing there was this talk about him getting traded places he wanted to go Denver, Vegas, Pittsburgh, possibly. There was Washington was in the talks. Who knows? But holy cow. Jordan Love's career with the Green Bay Packers is done. Like, there, there's no coming back. If this four, if Aaron Rodgers plans to play all four years, 
Jordan Love will probably be about six or seven years in the NFL as a backup. His career in Green Bay is done. He might, there's nothing to debate. He's he's going to be the backup quarterback for life over there until Aaron Rodgers retires or actually gets traded if these rumors actually happen for once. But clearly, I don't think that's the case. And here's why. His best preference was Denver, reportedly. Denver just acquired a quarterback by the name of Russell Wilson. Sounds familiar, right? Russell Wilson's been with the Seahawks in his entire career. Back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, won one of them, should have had two. We're not going to talk about that stupid call where they should have handed Marshawn Lynch the ball. Whatever about that. But my Lord, Rodgers is basically a Green Bay Packer for the rest of his life. And of course, no one's going to complain about that. But for, for Pete's sake, dude, get to the Super Bowl. You're Aaron Rodgers. You're this bad man. You're apparently a top five quarterback in some people's eyes, ever. You're, you're ahead of guys like John Elway, Steve Young, Dan Marino. You're ahead of these guys. You got to execute. You got to get over the hump. You're winning these MVPs. Good for you. You're winning your division. You're winning, the, the, you're winning your division at ease. Wow, you got the Vikings and the Bears in your division. Threatening. So threatening. Oh, my God. Oh, and the Lions, too. Shiver me timbers. If you don't win the division as Aaron Rodgers in that division, why? Like, how, 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 how could we look at you seriously? This guy's a bad man. This guy, I'm never doubting Aaron Rodgers' talents and abilities. But the Green Bay Packers need to step up, and they need to get this man another ring. Because, honestly, in my eyes... I don't have him as a top five all time. Maybe talent-wise, but not all time. A lot of people, like, when we talk about greatest of all times, a lot of the talk has to do with winning. For example, outside of football, we know the typical Jordan-LeBron debate. And a lot of the Jordan side says, six rings, no losses. Aaron Rodgers, you only have one. You're only one. Your only appearance, you've won. But only one? In how many years you've been in the NFL? I mean, Tom Brady has more rings than any football franchise ever. Yeah, he didn't. I mean, yeah, he had the greatest coach in our era. Yeah, he's had better help on defense. But my God, dude, Aaron Rodgers, this this getting to the NFC championship is going to be old. And I guarantee you it's getting old. And you've had enough news surrounded around you over the last few years. It's time to wake up. Because I'm telling you right now, the cap space for y'all is not looking good if you want to bring back Devontae Adams for longer term. This is the year to do it. And I think if the Packers win the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers will go off into the sunset and be like, yeah, I've had enough. I have nothing else to prove. Because he doesn't. He doesn't. The only thing he has to prove is that he can get to a Super Bowl and win again, in my eyes. In terms of his career resume... Not his career as in like we what we see him do on the football field. Because like I said, what we see on the football field is just tremendous. No debate. No hesitation. But Aaron Rodgers, Super Bowl. That should be the only, only, only thing on this man's mind. And I'm sure it is, of course. But come on, man. NFC Championship, not getting past that is starting to get old. Especially for your career and what you have built in your reputation. So Denver loses out on Aaron Rodgers, but they get Russell Wilson that same day. Now that is pretty sick to think about. We got a division with four solid quarterbacks. Raiders with Derek Carr, 
Chargers with Justin Herbert, Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, and now we got Russell Wilson with the Broncos. Seattle did acquire a decent package, but Drew Locke is not your guy, of course. If this if Drew Locke's the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks next season, then we know they're officially they're officially in a rebuild mode because they're also releasing Bobby Wagner reportedly. I think they could have traded Bobby Wagner. I think they should, you know, make a trade. But I think what Seattle really needed this year was a first-round pick because they had none. They traded it to the Jets in the Jamal Adams trade. They got one this year. And the Broncos have a pick within the top 10, so Seattle gets a solid draft pick. They also get Noah Fant, so they get a really solid tight end. They get a pretty reliable tight end. Noah Fant, you know, fantasy favorite in terms of, like, you know, you want to draft a tight end later later in the rounds. Noah Fant's a solid player. They also got Shelby Harris, defensive lineman. Two first-round picks this year, next year, and two second-round picks and a fifth-round pick. Denver also is acquiring a fourth-round pick along with Russell Wilson. So Russell Wilson now has a better O-line, a developing running back, and some solid young receivers such as Sutton, Judy. Will they win the division? Probably not, but this is obviously a huge step up from Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. So the Broncos are moving in the right direction. They got their man. They got a solid quarterback, a guy with high respect, high work ethic, a winner. This guy is a winner. He's been to the playoffs just about every year of his career except this past season. Russell Wilson in this division will put the Broncos in a very competitive atmosphere. And I believe this right now is probably the best division in football from just first just first glance. Because you got four Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks, four quarterbacks that have – been in a t- that are you know top 10 caliber as well you we know what Patrick Mahomes has done he has a great resume for his age Justin Herbert on the rise Derek Carr not consistent enough but he has improved he has brought the Raiders to the playoffs especially last year which was very impressive with all the Raiders that got that they went through and now Russell Wilson has a developing offense and is ready to go so I believe this was a good trade for the Broncos. For the Seattle Seahawks, they did their job. They are rebuilding. They got some solid – I think they got a – you know, like, you know, Noah Fan isn't a joke. They obviously don't have a quarterback now, so it's just like, is Drew Locke going to be the guy or are we going to see somebody get drafted? Will Malik Willis get drafted? That would be a solid pick, I believe. I think Malik would fit well with Seattle. And also, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'm just happy to see Russell Wilson not go to the Philadelphia Eagles because, honestly, I feel like the Eagles had the best to offer. They had, like, three first-round picks this year. You could have swapped QBs and got Jalen Hurts if you're Seattle. And I'm sure Philly would have even offered more position players. But this is an actual trade because I, I think it's because it's a quarterback. But this is an actual, like, legit trade. This really is a good trade. I believe that both sides, you know, they did their jobs. Seattle's moving on. They're rebuilding that. That franchise, their dynasty that they built is now officially over. And it, it was over this past season. It was over after Wilson got hurt. The team tanked down. Seattle is rebuilding. I would still like to see them trade Bobby Wagner, but the, by the looks of it, he's going to get released. Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson both reported around the same time in 2012. So this is, you know, this is the end of an era. And it's sad to see. I really enjoyed watching that young Seattle team and the Legion of Boom, that defense Dan Quinn led. You know, it was that must-see TV type of thing. But that's officially over, and the Broncos finally have a quarterback, a reliable quarterback, because we've seen them go through. After, since Peyton Manning retired, 
I mean, they were in and out with Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler back then. They they drafted Paxton Lynch. They got Drew Locke. They've experimented Bridgewater. They've experimented a lot of guys. Trevor Simeon, can't forget about Trevor Simeon, but now it's official. Russell Wilson is their guy. Could he be on the decline with his career? Sure. But he's got a young developing team, a young developing offense, as a matter of fact. So I really like this move. I think Russell Wilson to Denver is a pretty solid fit. It's going to be weird seeing him in that orange color, but you know what? Good for Bron- Good for the Broncos. Solid job, solid effort on both ends. Seattle, you're, you you just got at this point, you just can't miss on a draft pick if you're going to rebuild. That's all I can say. And I think sooner or later, Pete Carroll, as great of a coach as he is, they're going to move on. It might not be this offseason they're not going to make that move, but I think it's going to be next year or the year after. It's going to be within the next two years, I believe. So Seattle is officially rebuilding. And that's all we got for the NFL. Let's move on to the NBA. So I already spoke my takes. We saw John Moran drop 50. LeBron dropped 56. We saw Jason Tatum put up 54. You know, these young stars. And of course, LeBron, at, at his age, putting up 56 is just, it just proves he can still play. I mean, we never doubted that either. But LeBron just said, you know, he was happy to get a win. And he's obviously hoping the Lake he can bring the Lakers within the play-in contest as well as the playoffs in general which at this point I really don't see happening. They did pick up DJ Augustine, which of course, you know, wow, that's going to really be the move that pushes the Lakers forward. No, absolutely not. But Augustine is, a you know, a very solid depth player for the Lakers, especially with a struggling point guard in Russell Westbrook. They can have a guy that can put in late minutes that can give you a bucket. But of course, DJ Augustine is not a push. He's not. And you can't rely picking up players that get released and bought out. So I believe the Lakers, you know, they're still in their seat, and it's, you know, white flag time. I mean, good for LeBron, but still. Jason Tatum puts up 54 against Brooklyn. Now, this was an impressive performance because Kevin Durant also put up a great a great effort, as he always does, but Jason Tatum, young star, 54. And in his last game against Charlotte, he put up 44. So Tatum, he also shot... 66% against Charlotte. So Tatum lately has been doing well, and it's good to see the Boston Celtics make a solid push for the playoffs, as they always are. They're going to be playoff contenders every year. It's just, and again, over the hump, can they do it? But here is where things get challenging. James Harden and Joel Embiid looked fantastic in their first few games together. James Harden, in his first game with the Philadelphia 76ers, 27 points, 12 assists. All right, that hamstring thing was definitely a joke. This guy looked like the James Harden of all. Shot 71% from three. I think the most dangerous player in the NBA, honestly, is when James Harden is happy at this point. When James Harden is content and loves where he is, this guy will give you everything that he has. And he's playing with an MVP frontrunner in Joel Embiid. They have already gotten the into the conversation of being just as good as Shaq and Kobe and Kareem and Magic, which is scary because they haven't even played for a full month yet. The following game, 29, 16, and 10 for James Harden. I believe I saw somewhere where he was like the first player to be acquired by a team and in his first two games put up 20 and 10. I mean, this guy is happy. This guy is living the life. And he scored over 20 points in four of his six games with Philly. The duo of Joel Embiid 
and James Harden got their first loss, however, against the Brooklyn Nets, who had everybody healthy except for Ben Simmons. He was not active, which, of course, was, you know, disappointing to see. We wanted to see Ben Simmons' return because I know that Philly, that Philly crowd would have given him, you know, hell. And we know James Harden has a solid reputation of when it comes to the big moment, the big games, we don't see the James Harden, the killer, the attacker, the ISO god. We don't see that as often. Against Brooklyn, 11 points, 42 from three, but 17% from the field. 17% from the field in 29 minutes. James Harden, you are going against the team you left. You are going against the team you wanted out from. You are going against a front runner for the NBA championship. You are going against a team that you solidly wanted to get out of. You wanted to go there at first, and then you and KD did not click. You and Kyrie did not click, and you did not want to be a part of whatever Brooklyn had established when KD was hurt and Kyrie is now holding out because of the vaccine mandate. You didn't want to be a part of that. You went to a team that you wanted to go to, a team with Joel Embiid, a front runner for MVP, a guy with a solid, you know, partners in crime with Maxi, Thibel, Tobias Harris. You went to Philly to win. I know this is a regular season game and this doesn't mean nothing, but this meant something. This is your first game against your former team that you wanted to leave. You didn't even spend a full year. You barely did, and if you did, you didn't even spend all of your time in Brooklyn. This is a team you wanted to go to, and then a year later, you wanted to leave. This is your third team in three years, James Harden. You are supposed to be one of the best shooting guards of all time. I don't even know if I have you in my top five, but a lot of people do. A lot of people have you just as good as D-Wade. A lot of people have you above Allen Iverson. A lot of people see James Harden and go, at the, at one point, at that Houston Rockets era, when you were putting up 30-plus a game, the MVP version, the guy who you never wanted to have ISO on. You never could get an ISO matchup with James Harden because he would dominate you. Debatably the greatest score in this era. He gets to the line. I mean, James Harden is probably one of the best players to, you know, draw fouls. This guy got to the line religiously at one point in his career, especially in the Houston era. But you're going against Brooklyn in a, for the first time in the first matchup, and you don't even have Ben Simmons on the floor. You don't have the guy that wanted to leave Philly, a guy that would get abused. He would get abused because you were home. It was in Philly. You would have gotten abused, Ben Simmons, if you were playing. And he wanted to leave because the coach said he can't shoot. People were calling him soft. He wanted to leave. It was a soft thing to do on the Ben Simmons part. He got called soft and he got offended. He didn't want to play. And you already have this reputation of big moments. Everyone says you choke in those big moments. You shot 17% from the field. 17%. This proves right here, this proves... I'm not talking about this overall, but this proves Brooklyn's team, when they're healthy, is better than Philly. I mean, Philly gave up Ben Simmons, who's an elite defender, at one point a defensive player of the year contender, a guy that, you know, he not, not, a, not a shooter, but he'll still put up 16, 17, 18 a game, and he can defend multiple positions and play point at 6'10". They gave up Seth Curry, who, by the way, has played excellent since he's gotten to Brooklyn. Another shooter. So Brooklyn gets another shooter. And Andre Drummond. Drummond is now a Brooklyn net too. This guy is a rebounding king at one point in Detroit. This guy's a great defender in the interior. 
and he rebounds better than just about anybody in the league, even as a backup. So Philly right here just got exposed. And Joel Embiid, he put up 27 and 12, but a lot of his a lot of his points came from the free throw line because he shot just under 30% from the field. So Joel Embiid didn't do well in terms, you know, efficiency-wise, but his numbers of 27 and 12 are still going to get you, you know, solid numbers. Philly got exposed here, guys. If we're trying to figure out who won this trade between Brooklyn and Philly, we got a solid first impression that Brooklyn ran away with this trade. We're going to see James Harden and Joel Embiid and go, yeah, that's probably one of the best and most talented duos in the NBA. Right now, for sure, ever debatably. However, however, if we see this in the playoffs, Philly just had a major, major blow. Philly would have lost the deal. I mean, I'd rather have James Harden than Ben Simmons at the point, too, because James Harden can actually score. Harden can get to the line and actually convert the free throws. Harden can do step-back three-pointers in your face. Harden, like I said, an ISO god. James Harden is probably one of the best isolation players I have ever seen. James Harden, by far, is a way better player than Ben Simmons. And by the way, James Harden can give you a triple-double, like I said, when he's happy and when he's healthy. James Harden can get you double-double numbers now on a nightly basis. And he can even give a triple-double. So this just proves that James Harden in the big moment still cannot execute a solid performance or a game or let me just say a game-changing performance a game-changing performance meaning performing well enough to you know either win the game or if you lose it's still a great performance and it's just you know not enough James Harden needs to wake up and get ready because this is probably his best shot to win a ring and I said this when he went to Brooklyn too because obviously, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. You see those three together. Those are three of the best scorers in the league. These guys, like, how could have that failed? I know we've seen guys team up over the years, and it just doesn't work out. But it just seemed like this one would be the one. You know, this this would have been the one. Like, James Harden should have won a ring last year. But then again, Kyrie got hurt, and James Harden wasn't 100%. Kevin Durant was basically putting the nets on his back. And the Nets, I just, I also think, I think the Nets just didn't have enough. Especially after Kyrie went down, I just think the Nets didn't have enough to win it all. But back to Philly. This is James Harden's year because I've always said James Harden needs to play with a very, like, a top three big in the league. He played with Dwight Howard, but he wasn't a top three big. Dwight Howard was past the prime. This was after the Laker, the Laker bust of a year when everyone thought this was the year. This was the Kobe Shaq part two. Kobe couldn't even tolerate Dwight Howard and that run didn't last very long. This is Harden's year. This has to be it. And I mean, he's got next year too, so we can say next year is also the year. But Harden's making a crap ton of money next year. This is the guy running your system. This is the guy that is at the point. This is the guy that you got to make the extra push. And if he can do it when he's in Philly, we can all look at the Houston years and even the Brooklyn, the, the Brooklyn solo year if you want to. I don't disregard, I don't I don't take it against him with Brooklyn because like I said, he wasn't 100% in the Milwaukee series and I honestly didn't think he should have played because it was just a waste to see him out there, honestly. But we can all say in the Houston era, it was all James Harden's fault. And I've said that from the beginning because we look at Michael Jordan's early years, not comparing Michael Jordan to James Harden. Michael Jordan was averaging over 35 a game. And once... The triangle came into Michael Jordan's career. Once Phil Jackson applied the triangle play, 
the triangle play call, the Bulls were way more successful. And, you know, Pippen developed. They got Rodman later. But I just believe when the triangle thing happened, and this, I mean, this was said in the last dance. Once the triangle was it was put into play, Jordan didn't average up to 35 a game. He averaged 37.1 in his third year, 35 the second year of his career. And we didn't, like, see him go above that total. He got up to 35, but then it was typically between 30 and 32, which, you know, like I said, is still unbelievable. But when James Harden was putting up, like, 36 at one year, he had 36.1, 34.3. And that was the last solid years with Houston, and then he averaged 24 before getting traded, like, eight games into the year. I'm saying, here's my point. James Harden has played with Dwight Howard. He's played with Chris Paul, which, by the way, Chris Paul makes a team better. And that team was one Chris Paul healthy game away from getting to the finals against the Warriors. So that would have been perfect. If, and that We would have seen what James Harden was made of in that, in that finals if he would win it. But Chris Paul was hurt. He missed game six and game seven. Harden couldn't push him past without Chris Paul. That didn't work out. The Russell Westbrook-James Harden experiment didn't work. One year bust. And then we see Harden go to the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant, the greatest offensive force I have ever seen in my life. Kyrie Irving, probably one of the best offensively talented players I have ever seen in my life. A guy with probably the best handles in basketball history. A guy who was clutch, who gave LeBron a ring. Not saying he gave it to him. LeBron played well, but Kyrie hit that shot on Seth Curry. Let's not remember that. Kyrie was also putting up amazing numbers in that finals. That experiment didn't work. You are now with Joel Embiid, a solid coach with Doc Rivers. You were with some young prodigies like Thibault, Maxi. You have Tobias Harris, who is, you know, a, a, a pretty solid player. He's respectable. I mean, you can even say, I mean, not saying Danny Green's a game changer, but he's still he's still a shooter. He's not what he was in San Antonio. Not close. But he's a respectable player. He's got two rings. You've got respectable, solid players around you. This is your year, and you also got next year, but I think at this point, you got to win right now. Now we're going to move on to the MLB. <laughs> we got baseball. Oh, this is beautiful. So we're going to recap from the last time we talked. So basically, we're going to go to last week's news, briefly touch it, and, you know, share the interesting moments that happened, and then we're going to get into what we witnessed yesterday. So we run the clocks back. March 1st, they had a deadline. It was originally February 28th, but after a long day of meeting and making of what, you know, they thought of somewhat was progress, they decided to push it to one more day. They did not make that deadline on March 1st. So they had a deadlock is what it was called. So what set the MLB and the players associating off on bad terms was the MLB, the owners, the commissioner had their best and final offer, which the players association called a slap to the face. Manfred's deal, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, said their deal would give a 33% raise to two thirds of the players by increasing the salaries of young players. They were able to agree on a few things, but... This I did not really see because I'm like, why would you just only do about two-thirds of the players? The ML, the Players Association wanted basically everybody. That was really the main conflict was just the increase of salary, especially for the younger players. 
And what really set me off as well as the rest of the world in sports, mostly baseball, but in the sports world, is when Rob Manfred went on TV to address that the season was getting delayed. They they canceled the first two series of games. So when the deal was officially on lock and Manfred went on TV, he was laughing. This is the same commissioner that called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. This is the same guy that sounded like Sylvester the Talking Cat when he was addressing the Dodgers as World Series champions in 2020. This is the same guy that gave Houston a slap on the wrist after the cheating scandal. Which, you know, at this point, I I honestly am like, what can you do with that? But they didn't really do a whole lot in that deal. They really didn't. This is the commissioner of baseball who doesn't have a whole lot of respect from around reporters, analysis, and players. And you're going to go on TV and laugh about losing games? When you're saying to the fans, I'm sorry about this, we did our best, and you're laughing, it is a terrible look. It is a terrible look, especially with the reputation you have and how people are not so thrilled with your leadership in the MLB. When this deal wasn't made, they had till July 25th as their final deadline. So at this point, it looks like we're not getting baseball. It looks like we're not getting a 162-game season or a season at all. But we reached a deal yesterday, and I am, praise the Lord, finally. It was about almost 100 days of a lockout, basically three months Finally. That's all I can say is finally. Players have to report in spring training in three days, so we will have a 162-game season. It'll be delayed, though. Opening day will be pushed back. I believe April 7th is the official target date for opening day, but we're going to have spring training. Free agents can sign wherever. We still got guys like Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman. They still got to sign somewhere. We got trades that can happen. We've seen Matt Olson being talked about. We've seen Reds like Louis Castillo get talked about. There's going to be a lot of action going on. It's going to be a free agent trade frenzy for the next few weeks. And I love these type of news. I love I love following it. I love tracking it down. So this is going to be a really fun time for baseball. And I believe this is probably the best, you know, this is the best thing that's happened in a while for baseball. Because we were talking about how this lock, the lockout was the worst thing that could happen. The fact they were able to get a deal done and we're going to have a whole 162 game season save the sport from absolutely collapsing. Because the marketing is already terrible. They don't endorse their players pretty often. Like, n- nobody knows who really Mike Trout is. I mean, Tyler Hero has more followers on Instagram than Mike Trout. You can go to a stranger and they probably know who Tyler Hero is, but not Mike Trout. That is how terrible MLB is at marketing their players. So here are some of the big changes in the MLB. Expanded postseason. We are no longer getting the typical wild card game as well as the division, championship, and World Series. We got a 12-team expanded postseason. That is going to be insane. Let's see, though, because the only I'm not a fan of this, and the only reason why is this. Pitching depth. This is where pitching comes to the test because who has the best pitching staff, Who has who, which pitchers you know are in best shape, can go on short rest. These guys are going to get worked. This is going to be a workhorse effort on the hurler side of things. So let's see what pitchers can do. This is going to be an interesting one. We have a universal DH, so the National League will now apply the DH. Pitchers will no longer hit. It is now not mandatory for a pitcher to hit. So we have a universal DH, meaning DH in the American League and National League. So this is going to be fun. I honestly did like pitchers hitting in the National League for strategical purposes. Managing a team 
And baseball IQ really comes to the test if there's an American League and National League matchup, especially in the, in the World Series. I mean, that's where things just really get, you know, you get to thinking. This is where your IQ really shows out. And National League, the National League teams have an advantage to that because they play with that every day. But I mean, at Universal DH, I mean, we're, we're going to see some more hitting from actual hitters. This is going to be this is gonna be fun to see. It's going to be fun, but like I said, I prefer the strategical, the difficult, challenging parts of the game. That's just me, though. We got nine inning games and double headers, so no longer like nine and seven or seven innings. It's all nine inning double headers if we want to. This is my favorite thing. We don't have the runner on, on base anymore in the extra innings. So this past year, baseball had a runner on second if the game went in extra innings. This was to increase pace of play and just get the game over with. I hated it. I really freaking did. It cost my Yankees games. It cost, you know, multiple teams games. This is like some travel ball AAU BS that happened. I mean, they put the last out at second base and said, here you go. This is your chance. I like it like a new inning. Come on. That was my favorite change because I, I saw that and I was like, yes. I was like, thank you. Like, I hated this. I didn't want to go into my life in my future knowing that there's a stupid travel ball rule in the MLB. I'm, I'm a fan of that one. So the MLB and, and the Players Association, you did good on that. We have an international draft now. Now, this is, this is a huge part of the CBA deal. Players outside the U.S., so Canada, Latin America, places like that, would be eligible to, for this draft at the age of 16, a 20-round draft. So each slot would have an assigned signing bonus figure. The top overall pick would receive a signing bonus of $5.25 million. The deadline to sign would be three weeks after the completion of the draft. Teams could sign an unlimited number of undrafted international prospects. So basically, if you didn't get drafted, you could sign whoever. There's no limit. Teams will also be able to trade draft picks, which I really like because this is like an NBA, NFL style because we don't see a whole lot of picks being traded in the MLB draft. I don't think it's even possible, but I don't think I, I can't even recall the last time I've seen that happen in an MLB draft. Teams could earn additional picks by drafting and signing players from countries outside the typical international pipeline. So they seem to have this under control. They seem to like really get this down. And I'm honestly a fan of it. Some guys voice their opinions against it because everybody got a signing bonus that was relatively the same. But now it seems like depending where you get picked, you get a certain signing bonus. Fernando Tatis was among the guys that was not a fan of it. Tatis said this. The international draft is going to kill baseball in the DR, the Dominican Republic. It's going to affect us a lot because there will be many young people who are used to giving them the opportunity to get a bonus with the draft. It won't be the same. And also players in this international draft will be drug tested. There's now a 45-day window to oppose rule changes that will begin in 2023. This was decided by the new joint committee because I believe after this lockout and after the way the the CBA deal was pushed last minute. I think they're ready to just, we need a ta we need a time period to discuss this. We have a 16 draft lottery, so there will be no more tanking. So if you have the worst record in baseball, you're not guaranteed to have the number one overall pick. So this is basically NBA rules right here. And they're limiting it to six teams, so the top six worst records in the, in the baseball will have a lottery. And I like this. Like, I do like it a lot, actually. I mean, it never really bothered me that the worst team got the first pick, but it, this does eliminate tanking. So you got teams like the Orioles, as of recent, the Pirates, these type of, you know, low winning teams can't tank intentionally. 
to get the number one pick. There's a provision that prevents teams from optioning eligible players more than five times a season. There are now two measures aimed at limiting service time manipulation. So this is this is the, an, another rule that was really taking the CBA a lot of time to get done. So hear this out. A full year of service time is awarded to the players who finish within the top two in the respective rookie of the year votes. So basically what this means is if you're a rookie and you're a top two in the rookie of the year finalist, that counts as a year in the MLB. And that counts as a year moving forward on your contract. Draft picks awarded to teams that promote players on opening day who finish among the top vote getters for major awards. So by this, I believe what this means is if you get like an MVP and you promote your player on opening day about it, you get a draft pick, which honestly, you know what, good. This, like I said, this is mark, this is marketing right here. This is endorsing your players out. This is basically saying, yo, congratulations. And now we get a draft pick in return of that. And this is I like too, because this is also marketing. Additional advertising through patches on jerseys and decals on helmets. So we're going to start seeing what the NBA does with their jerseys where they have logos from companies. I believe that's what this means for the MLB. So this is solid. I did forget to mention this about the international drafts. Let me bring this back real quick. 2024 will be when the, when the international draft is put into place. In 2023, the shifts will be banned. Now that's interesting. So now players that have been shifted like Joey Gallo and all those big pole left-handed hitters are just basically everybody at this point, A lot, basically every player is put into an infield shift at this point. They're eliminating that for good. There's like a there's you know rule that you got to be in the clay. Like there's a bunch of rules on that, but it's good to see that the shifts are being banned. However, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a fan of seeing the shifts because I want to see you know I want to see hitting. But in terms again, this this relates to the universal DH. This comes with baseball IQ. As a hitter, you need to make adjustments. As a hitter, you get your job is to hit the ball where the defenders are not. So if you're Joey Gallo, like I just mentioned, and the entire infield is playing on the right side, you need to learn and wake up and be like, okay, I think I need to hit a ground ball to shortstop for a base hit for once. Some guys are just not capable of doing this. This eliminated guys like Mark Teixeira's careers. This marked David Ortiz that he even said he's been robbed hundreds of hits from this. There have been guys that have had careers ruined because they couldn't beat the shift. Ryan Howard, another guy, couldn't beat the shift. A lot of these hitters could not make adjustments. They are so heavy on their ego and what they get paid to do and what they're known to do. Pull, hit home runs, pull the ball. Basically, you know, play not play selfishly, but play the role that they're known for. And they fit right in. And it makes the analytics and all the sabermetrics look good. I am a fan of old school baseball, so I believe you need to learn how to make adjustments. So I like that the shifts are banned, but I, at the same time, I'm not a fan of it because, like I said, hitters need to make adjustments. You're at a professional level getting paid. This is your job. Your job is to make adjustments. And now they're eliminating the opportunity to make adjustments. So that's the only thing I have against that. The only thing that I, the reason why I'm happy shifts are banned is just because I'm tired of just seeing the infield move around. It takes time away from the game. Like it makes game, it makes games longer. And like I said, I can watch a baseball game all day, but it's not, it's, it's not necessary to be this long. But I'm more, I'm more opposed to this rule, getting banned. Because like I said, hitters need to make an adjustment and they need to learn. They need to figure this out on their own and basically become better hitters by making adjustments.
It sounds simple, but it's not. Some guys can't even do it, like I said. Another thing that's going to be put in in 2023, pitch clock. So no runners on. The pitcher has 14 seconds to throw the ball to the catcher. You get the ball back. They have 14 seconds. That clock starts again. With a runner on, they got 19 seconds to either, you know, throw to the catcher or pick off, step off. This was experimented in like independent leagues and minor leagues. And now it's going to be in the MLB next year. And this is going to honestly, this is going to really pace the play of game. Like this is going to make these games, you know, less than three hours, maybe even four, like less than four hours for sure, but maybe even less than three. So I believe this is honestly a good deal. This again is going to, you know, this is going to really, you know, be a, be a challenge to pitchers because they like to get the ball back, walk around the mound. They like to reset, regather, get, you know, nice deep breath in and out get back on the mound, do their thing. Now it's about to be rushed for them. Especially when they're throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour, wicked breaking balls, you know, solid off speed, and you're doing that at a faster pace, that can honestly be wear and tearing to you. So pitchers are honestly not getting, you know, they're getting wrecked a little bit in this new deal, but with the playoffs, like I said, can they can they handle the haul? We're going to find that out this year. Can they handle the pitch clock? Going into next year, we're going to figure that out. But I believe, like I said, the biggest, like one of the biggest deals was the international draft, getting that because there are potential benefits. Like I said, eliminates early deals, mandatory drug tests early on, pre-medical process, basically like a physical is going to be implemented by the MLB. But there's also another big thing that's going down. The minimum salaries increased to 700000 this year. This was the big target. This was the huge, huge deal that also caused the lockout to happen because we wanted to see increased salaries for younger players. They got this done. They got it up to 700K. It rised 23% from last year, and it's going to rise to 780,000 in 2026 in this final five-year deal with the CBA. So this, this CBA deal ranged is ranges five years. So in the final year of this deal, which will be 2026, Minimum salaries will be now 780000 So a lot of these younger players are now going to make more money, which this is good for the players. This is good, and this is what they wanted, and this is what they needed. They were getting, you know, they, they get dirt money in the minor leagues. They don't get the treatment that, you know, professionals do. And this is a job, like I said. Like, I know they're not professionals in terms of being in the MLB. They're still professionals, and this is still a job. And they don't make a whole lot of money. And the players took a stand this year. They said, we want the future of our sport to make respectable money, even though it's not, you know, it's not in the millions, of course. But these minimum salaries, you know, like this was 23% lower. Now it's going to be 780000 by the time this new deal is over, which is tremendous improvement, by the way. This is tremendous. The competitive balance threshold will now be at $230 million, which is nearly a 10% increase from last year. And it will reach $244 million by 2026. Again, this was another issue. There will also be a $50 million player pool to reward pre-arbitration players who do well. So before you're eligible for arbitration, you can now get like a bonus for doing well, for playing well. So this again, because before, this is like, you know, they're making you know, the 700K now. And if you come up and you're not eligible for arbitration at the time, you can now get awarded. This is a good deal for baseball, for both the players and the owners. It's good to see a week later they were able to come to agreement because by the looks of it, it just seemed like we weren't going to have a full 162-game season. 
We weren't going to have spring training. We were going to have none of that. But the but both sides came together. Both sides came to an agreement. And baseball is officially back. I am telling you this free agent frenzy is going to be crazy. And I'm sure we're going to have free agent signings by next week, by next episode, and I'm going to be talking about it. I want to see Carlos Correa go somewhere big. I want to see Matt Olson. I really hope Matt Olson goes to the Yankees. I don't think it's going to happen. I hope, by God, the Yankees need to do something. That's just me being a fan real quick. But in general, I want to see Carlos Correa make something big. I want to see Trevor Story do something big. We got some, you know, we got some really respectable free agents that are still out there. We got a lot of guys that are still in the market. We got guys that are still going to be traded. We still got spring training ahead. I'm going to be going to spring training now. This is what's great. So I'll be right. I mean, I might go this Sunday. I usually go on Sundays. That's my normal thing with my dad. I think I'm going to, I think we're going to go. Might as well. The closest team to me, though, sadly, is Port St. Lucie. The Nationals used to be about 20 minutes from where I live, but now Port St. Lucie is the closest, and that's about like 30, 40 minutes south. I mean, the Mets got some respectable players. They just got Max Scherzer and a whole bunch of other guys. <laughs> so, I mean, the Mets are they're pretty solid, and they got Jacob deGrom, of course. They got probably the best one-two punch in the MLB right now. So we got ourselves a baseball season. This is going to be great, and I believe – I believe we're going to see some solid, solid baseball this year. We really are. This is good for the sport. This is good for sports in general. Fans got what they want. We got a full season. A little delayed, but, you know, something's better than nothing. And by the way, it's something is obviously better than half of a season, another 60-game season. We couldn't have guys like Shoei Itani, Fernando Tatis. I mean, even guys like Mike Trout who are on pace to be the best players to ever play the game. We can't even have these young guys and these guys who have already made a, a case for, you know, the Hall of Fame to get wrecked with short seasons. We already got one because of COVID. I mean, you know, there was an excuse for that because there was a worldwide pandemic. It wasn't safe at the time. We couldn't have another shortened season. We couldn't have the second short season in three years, basically. So I am very glad to see we are having a season, and I'm sure a lot of you are as well. So that's going to be all for this episode Thank you very much for tuning in to everybody who's listening. I can't wait to talk about baseball moving forward because, like I said, we got a season. We got some other, you know, we got the NBA season that's wrapping up. NFL free agency is about to go into a frenzy. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. Khalil Mack is now a charger. We're going to get into that next, next week. But we got some solid, solid sports updates coming to you. And I appreciate you all for tuning in and all listening. This is your Lux Ran Out. I am Julius Lux, and I'm signing off. Till next time, everybody.